Why don't you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your name being powerful. It's more powerful than anything this world can stand against. God, it's the word that brings life to our dry and weary souls. It's the, it's the name of Jesus that brings hope whenever we don't have any. God, it's actually your word, your power that takes what we're about to do right now and makes it, makes it living and breathing and active like Paul, you told Timothy. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it is good for teaching, reproof, for encouraging in righteousness. God, what we want to do now is we want to hear from you. So even as we open up the scriptures today, may it be your voice that's heard above all voices. May you use me as an instrument in your hands. I pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Memorial Day weekend. Go ahead and take a seat. And if you have a Bible, grab that and meet me over in Matthew chapter 6. Hey, as you're getting there, I just want to begin with a confession that today I'm going to talk about the kingdom of freedom. And this message has been working on me all week long. I'm not, I'm not speaking to you as somebody who has this figured out. I'm speaking to you as somebody who's walking through the journey of contentment just like you. All right? Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why happiness tends to be so fleeting right now? NBC News actually said that Americans are the most unhappy and most dissatisfied that they have been in the last 50 years. According to stats, only 14% of Americans are happy at all. 14%. The other 76% have said that they are extremely dissatisfied in life. They're dissatisfied with their 401ks. They're dissatisfied with their looks. They're dissatisfied with the cars that they drive and the houses that they live in. Honestly, if we are completely honest, there's an existential crisis going on in most of our lives, and, and we wonder if there's anything more to life than the rat race that we're on. Maybe, maybe you don't feel that way, but statistically speaking, most of you do. See, at the same time, at the same time that we get up every morning, we punch the clock every single day, we go to bed at night exhausted, only to do it all over again the next day at the same exact time. Statistically speaking, we have more wealth than we've ever had, more access to knowledge and technology than we've ever had, and we have the ability to travel at a pace that a hundred years ago would have just been unfathomable. What the heck is going on? What's going on? Seriously, why do we feel so dang stressed out all the time? In the 1940s, a man named Viktor Frankl wrote what I think might be one of the most important books ever written. And if you've never read it, it's a small book called Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl was a German psychologist that found himself in three different concentration camps. And while he was there, he decided to observe what made the difference in people who survived. And hear what I mean, survived by natural causes or didn't survive, meaning the Nazis didn't end their life, but some people just, just didn't make it. Here's what he found. Over watching people over and over and over again, he found that there was one thing that the people who survived had that the people who did not survive did not have. Hope and contentment and things that you could not take away from them. He said that they had an inner peace. Now, this is super important. They didn't have hope in their lives or their possessions. They had hope that went deeper, okay? Deeper than the things that this world can take away. Most of the people were worried about their circumstances were the people who did not make it. These people didn't worry about their circumstances. They went deeper. 
Maybe the reality is is that the 76% of people who are super unhappy right now, maybe they feel this unending pressure to achieve more, the weightiness of not being enough. Some of you feel like you're a failure because you haven't accomplished what you thought you should. Maybe you don't even look at, you don't like to look at the man in the mirror because the man in the mirror disappoints you so much. Here's what I want to show you today. The road to joy is clinging on something that is deeper and more secure than the fleeting pleasures of this world. See, the thing that makes Christianity so different than every other religion in the world, did you know this? It has nothing to do with the strength of your faith. Okay, every religion in the world talks about how strong your faith is, and yet Christianity says that doesn't matter at all. It matters the strength of the object of your faith. See, the reality is, is you need to ask the question, can Jesus hold me? Is he strong enough to hold me? And that goes deeper than anything. Here's the big idea for today. The key to joy, which is, by the way, deeper than happiness. If you didn't know this, happiness comes from the root word happenstance, which means that it's tied to your circumstances. Joy goes deeper than that. It's continually going back to Jesus for your strength. That is the next line in the Lord's Prayer. Here's what it says. As we're going through this this sermon series on prayer, here's what Jesus says as he taught him to pray. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Those seven words are the most profound secret to joy in life. I'm telling you, they are so simple, and yet they might be the most difficult and most challenging thing for you to rely on. This stanza, this one line of all the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This stanza is going to be the most difficult line in the entire prayer for you to get. And here's why. You don't need anything. You don't need anything. Right? You don't rely on your daily bread because you have a refrigerator. Okay? You don't worry about paying your bills because you have more disposable income than any other people on the planet. And if you don't believe that you are rich, sign up for one of those short-term mission trips that we're going on. Get on an airplane and fly across the other part of the world and see how the rest of the world lives, okay? Here's, here's what you need to know. You're not just rich. You are the richest people in human history right now. You don't need groceries. If you need groceries, you go to Costco and you buy 19 pounds of bacon on a Saturday. And that place is a zoo. It's a human zoo where you can see people that have too much money so they buy mounds and mounds and mounds of groceries every single week. Back when Jesus wrote these words, they literally depended on him for their daily bread. They were dirt poor. And if you don't know where that, that saying comes, back in the day, the only people who had, who had concrete floors were those who were wealthy enough to have them. Everybody else was dirt poor. All right? They were dirt poor. Here's what I want to show you. If you want to be happy, like, I mean, really happy, you're going to need to recapture the dependence and the contentment that Jesus taught in this prayer 2,000 years ago, which means that you got to go deeper. All right? You got to look beyond the surface of bread. Listen to what Jesus says. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Y'all, this bread that Jesus is talking about isn't just food. It's everything that sustains you. He wants you to give, he wants to give you daily mercies to where he fills you up. I love this psalm. Weeping may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. There is something to this daily bread. He wants to sustain your life. 
See, the purpose in life that you have when it's rooted in something deeper is satisfactions that are more secure. When you tether your life and you rely on him to provide for what you need today, that's when things change. So this prayer, this prayer is both a confession and it's a request. Part of it has to be a confession to your own soul that you need God. Here's what I mean by that. There needs to come a point when you, when you literally tell your soul, this is what I need. Sometimes you got to speak to yourself. You know what I mean? Like every now and then, I don't know about you, if you're an athlete or, or you do things challenging, sometimes you got to tell yourself, I can do this. I got, I got to make it through this. There's a part of this that you need to tell yourself, God, I need you. And it's a bold request. I'm going to trust you to provide for me. I want you to notice the movement in the Lord's Prayer. Notice it. It begins with our Father. It's all about God. And then it's your kingdom come. It's all about God. This is the very first line where the shift moves from the vertical to the horizontal. It's about us. See, in order to pray this properly, if you get the macro sense, you got to start with God. You got to understand who he is in order, you can, in order for him to sustain you. You got to know who your Father is. What you need to understand is that there are vertical realities in life. Our Father, you got to get that relationship right. Once you have that relationship right, there are horizontal needs. It's okay to ask God to sustain you. You got to take care of your vertical relationship first, and then it's appropriate to ask God to give you what you need today. N.T. Wright, the famous Oxford theologian, he translated this passage. I love the way he says it. He says it should be translated more like this, give us today the bread that we need now. The reason why he does that is because in Greek, that word daily, it means something more like today's bread. Give us today's bread that we need. Jesus is saying, God, give us what we need right now. Don't give me what I need 10 years from now. Because if you do, I won't, I won't live my life relying on you. Jesus, what I really need is I need for you to, to sustain me today. And I don't know about you, but if I'm completely honest with you, there are days when I'm just like, God, I need to make it through today. Help me not kill those kids, right? Help me get through this. The anxieties and the pressures of today are just too much. Listen, y'all. Today's issues are yesterday's worries. You hear what I'm saying? Oftentimes, the things that you worried so much about yesterday, God sustained you through the moment today. And sometimes you need to know that the same thing's going to happen tomorrow, too. He has got you. Let me give you three practical guidances for what tends to make us super unhappy in this life. Here's number one. We're focused on tomorrow's struggles instead of today's blessings. You know, one of my life mantras, I've probably told it to you before if I've ever sat down with you, is this. Don't write your own worst story. You see, life is a chapter book that's still being written, and oftentimes whenever you hit these pivotal moments, the problem is, is you tend to write beyond where you are. You know, on May 2nd, 2000, May 2nd 2022 was maybe the most challenging day of our life. I, I, if you've been around here a while, you know the story. I was sitting up in the office with Clayton whenever my phone rang, and Allison calls me, and she says, I think my water broke. The only problem is she was 22 weeks pregnant. So I did what any sensible person in the entire world would do. I typed in on WebMD. What happens to a woman when she's 22 weeks pregnant? I found out really quickly she's going to die in the next 10 minutes and somehow I have cancer, which is what happens when you go on Google to find out your problems. 
<laughs> Isn't that true what we do? You got a cold, and the next thing you know it, you're dying of cancer because you went on the internet. Yo, we were so dang scared. I'm telling you, we, we went to the OB, and the OB sent us directly to the emergency room, and we were told that there was a 99% chance that our son would be born within the next 48 hours. And if he was born, there was a, ma- it was a massive chance that he was not going to survive. And we went into that deep, dark place of the unknown. You know what the truth is? We didn't know. We had no clue how it was all going to pan out. And yet, so much of our anxiety was determined by going to the place of the unknown. Here's what I know. When you write your own worst story, you don't leave room for God to do his work. And God is still a miracle worker. You know what a miracle is? Write write it down. Here's what a miracle is. A miracle is when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. That's simple. It's as simple as that. When the unexplainable meets the undeniable. For some of you, sitting in this room right now is a miracle. Like, no matter what you think, you're not as bad as you think you are. And God brought you here today. And some of you need to learn how to forgive yourselves because you are so much more than your biggest mistake in your life. You need to understand that God is still doing miracles. God is still saving people. He's still healing people. He is still doing miracles in your life. And if there's breath in your lungs, then God still has a thing to do. See, the worst anxieties that I've ever faced in my entire life have been whenever I've gone down that deep, dark hole of the unknown, and I start to draw conclusions that just haven't happened yet. This is why Jesus said that you need to pray that God would give you today the bread that you need for today, not for tomorrow. He didn't pray that you would get your bi-weekly bread in your, in your check, or that your crypto would take off and your retirement investments wouldn't take another hit. Did you know that God promises to take care of all of your needs in Scripture? Listen, he promises to take care of your needs. He doesn't promise to take care of your greeds. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, listen to Jesus, and, and as I read it, hear the heart of a father. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Of which of you, by being anxious, is going to add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon, the wisest human being to ever live, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Listen to it. Oh, you of little faith. He's not saying that as a rebuke. He's saying that, why do you not trust me? Therefore, if all that's true, Jesus says, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles or the unbelievers? Seek after all those things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You hear what he's saying? The great unknown is a scary place and you don't need to go there. You know, I know this is easier said than done. 
But maybe, just maybe, you're so unhappy because instead of focusing on what God has provided for you today, you're thinking about all the stuff you got to do tomorrow. See, here's something really simple you can do if you can't overcome your anxieties about tomorrow. Take out a pen and take out a sheet of paper and write a list of all the stuff you're worried about in one column. And then write a list in the other column of all the things you cannot control about the things you're worried about. And then take that list and simply pray, God, would you help me to trust you with those things? For instance, you can control that you save and invest. You cannot control what's going to happen in the stock market. See the difference there? Here's another one. You can control that you can exercise and diet, but you can't control whether or not you are going to get sick in the future. Y'all, you can control the daily rhythms of discipleship of your family. Listen to me. You cannot control how your kids are going to turn out. Some of you need to understand that no matter how much shame and guilt that you feel because what somebody has told you, only God can do that. Only God can save your kids. And some of you did everything right and it still didn't turn out okay. The formula that is not as simple as it may seem. What you have to do is you got to begin to trust God. Write this down. Stop worrying about tomorrow and start cultivating trust in God today. Today. You know that there's new morning mercies every single day for you. Like God wants to give you that. That means that when you wake up tomorrow, God's mercies are still going to be there. That means that if you made a mess out of today, guess what? His mercies are still there tomorrow. And if you feel empty right now, you can go back to the well that never runs dry. You know how this works? This is all an illustration that goes back. If you rewind the tape a couple thousand years, the Israelites, they're wandering around in the desert for 40 years, okay? God sends Moses. Moses redeems them, parts the Red Sea. They walk through it, 10 plagues. Okay, you go back to the book of Exodus. They're in the desert for 40 years before they go, and Joshua takes over, and they take, and they go into the promised land. There's this wandering around in the desert, and then God feeds them with this stuff called manna from heaven. It literally rains down. God had one rule, one rule. You know what it was? Only take enough food for you today, and I'll provide it again tomorrow. Now, these guys couldn't help themselves. They couldn't help themselves, so what did they do is they started storing up, they started storing up this stuff for themselves, and they're just like us. What ended up happening is they stored up from themselves because they wanted to put their own trust and security in themselves. And listen to me, God's not against stewardship or investment or securities. God's not against any of those things. God is against independence and self-reliance. Because at the end of the day, a relationship is better than anything that you can have for yourself. It was like the, these guys were like the parable. Jesus told a parable of a guy who, who started storing up and building houses for all of his stuff. He accumulated an, a massive amount of wealth. And one day God comes up to him and he says, you fool. Do you not realize? Do you not realize today you're going to lose your very life? You, you know you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? You can't bring that stuff with you. And the reality is, is we do the same exact thing. You know that Americans are the only people on the planet that run out of clothes hangers? You know, you know we build houses for our cars. And whenever, whenever our cars 
get lonely and we get too much stuff in our closets. We kick our cars out of their house so that we can put more stuff in storage in there. And then whenever we run out of storage in there, we buy storage units. Did you know that there's 2.3 billion square feet of storage units in America? And they say that there's enough units for every single American to have their own at the average cost of $110 a month. Y'all, nobody else in the world has these problems. These dudes. They took the manna and they started to store it up for themselves because, listen, it's a lot easier to build your own security than it is to trust God for tomorrow's provision. So whenever they woke up the next day, all their manna, all their food was rotted and there was maggots crawling in it and it stunk so bad that they had to move on. Listen to me. If you store up for yourself, it's a picture of what will happen to your own soul. It will begin to rot your soul from the inside and you will have to crave more and more and more because you never cultivate trusting in God. The human heart does not naturally know how to rely on God. So the most loving thing that God can do for you is help you to lean into him. I'm telling you, the greatest gift God has ever given you is this prayer. God, help me to need you today for what I need right now. You know how freeing it is? Like a child who doesn't worry about tomorrow because they know that their father will provide for them today. Last year, I read a book um, called 4,000 Weeks. And the premise of the book is 4,000 weeks tends to be the the span of a human life on average. And and what this guy said, it's a book about time management. You know what his whole book was, spoiler alert, so you don't even have to go buy it, is that time management is a crock because you're trying to manage a commodity that's not even guaranteed. So instead of trying to managing the future, here's what he says, why don't you enjoy today? Seriously, some of us are so miserable because we're putting a joy on layaway. Now, if you're under the age of 30, this was a thing your parents used to do before credit cards. They would take all your gifts to Walmart and start paying little by little by little on those things until they could actually pay it off. What we're doing is we're paying little by little by little on a happiness that's not even guaranteed to us. I'm telling you, so many of our anxieties come from worrying about tomorrow. Jesus says, trust me today and I will take care of tomorrow. What if you allowed this prayer to reset your mindset? Like, God, I know, I know that I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know the one who holds the future. And what I need to know, God, is I need to know that you're enough. And how you've proven that to me today, would you continue to show me that right now? What if that's how you cultivated your morning prayers? Some of you know, my life verse is Psalm 119.105. Here's what it says. It's simple, simple. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do you you know what that means? Do you know what a lamp to your feet is? Think about it. If we turned out all the lights in here and I I shined a lamp to my feet, here's what he's saying. This word, God's word, shows me my feet. You know why that's important? Watch this. It blocks out all the noise and all you have to see is your next step. That's what God's word, all the wisdom in God's word does. It doesn't show you the full picture because if it did, you would stop relying on him now, but it shows you your next step and then your next step. And if there's something right here in the future, guess what? You'll see it when it's the appropriate time to see it and then you'll turn. That's what the psalmist is saying. God, your word is a lamp to my feet. The secret to joy and wisdom in this world is not knowing the future. The secret to wisdom in this world is knowing God's word and letting it show you your next step. See, if you want to be happy, 
Stop worrying about a bunch of stuff that you can't control and start letting God's wisdom control you for your next step. If there is a cliff or a train wreck ahead, guess what? You'll be prepared when that time comes. God has you on a path. He has you on a path. And he wants his word to guide your path. So stop worrying about what's up ahead. See, this thing that the things of this world will never satisfy your souls. The great theologian Biggie Smalls got it right, didn't he? More money, more problems. Tell you what, I live in the wealthiest city in the South, and I'm telling you, I've seen more existential crises here than anywhere else I've ever lived. I've been called out to more suicides than anywhere else. And I've told you this, it's only ever teenage girls and 50-year-old men that seem to do this around here. And there's an existential crisis. Listen, here's a better prayer. Proverbs 38 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Listen, tomorrow has enough trouble for itself. Don't worry so much about that stuff because I promise you, if you try to control the future, here's what's going to happen. The future will begin to control you. Here's number two. We aren't desperate for God to provide for our needs. Again, look at the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Are you desperate for God to provide for what you need? Seriously, if I'm honest, I don't know if I am, but I want to be. Like, functionally speaking, I feel like I go about my day doing it on my own. But here's the point. If, if dependence is the goal, then the most loving thing God can do is not give you everything you've ever wanted. Think, think about your kids. If you give your kids everything they've ever asked for, they don't turn into little angels. They turn into little demons. Right? Can I, can I just tell you? You're not so much different than they. If God gave you everything your heart ever asked for, you wouldn't turn into a little angel. You'd turn into a demon. Here's what I've come to learn. Most of our unhappiness is tied to our sense of independence. And this prayer is a confession that we really do need Jesus to provide for our daily needs. And it's dangerous, y'all. It is so dangerous because the reality is if you really want to find joy, it's not found in the abundance of your stuff, but it's found in a relationship with Jesus. And I'm, and I'm just to be clear with you, it's okay to have stuff. If you actually surveyed the people of the Bible, most of them were pretty wealthy. That's okay. King David was wealthy. Solomon was wealthy. You go through the kings of the old, like it's not about stuff. It's about relationship. Again, let me just ask you at the end of your life, and, and be honest, you know this, you're probably not going to measure your success in life by the accumulation of your stuff. You're probably going to measure it more by your relationships that you had. Because relationships are more important than stuff. Like a starving man praying for bread or a drowning man just praying for oxygen. That's what the Christian life should be like depending on God. I love this. Sinclair Ferguson, the pastor, listen to what he said. Christian contentment is like this. He says, Christian contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord and to be totally at his disposal in the place he appoints at the time he chooses with the provisions that he is pleased to make. You know, the first, first mission trip I ever went on was in northern Romania. And when I was in northern Romania, I was wrecked by the poverty that I experienced. I'd never seen anything like it. 
Like these people had absolutely nothing. They were still living in old Soviet block um, apartment complexes where they barely had enough food or money for that day. And I remember, I remember thinking, like, I, I thought these people were so miserably poor and sad. And then we showed up to church in this small, dungeon-like, no-windows place. And it was dark, and it was cold, and it was damp. And the singing started, and I saw this joy come over their faces in a way that I'd never experienced before. Honestly, it was convicting. I'm sitting here thinking that I'm so much better than they are. I'd never said it out loud, but I'm sitting there thinking that. And then I'm watching them experience something that they had no joys. Uh, they had, I'm sorry, they had no, they, no expectation on this world. And yet they were meeting with Jesus and you would have think that they had no worries. Like they were happy. Do you know where that came from? I think this is so important. They never put themselves in a position to expect God to provide luxuries in life. Because God himself was enough. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. I think he's, he says, if I go into a hotel room beforehand and I tell you that this is a honeymoon suite, you might walk into that hotel room and be a little disappointed. But if I walked in before you and I told you it's a jail cell, you would come out and you'd say, that's a pretty nice place. He, he says this, your expectations are the filter by which you see and interpret the world. Now, I'm going to step on some toes here and I'm going to do it because I love you. Watch this. Maybe our biggest issues in life are entitlement issues. Maybe we're expecting a great life. We expect to have a great job and nice cars. Do you realize that the majority of the world is living in extreme poverty and most of them don't even have clean water? And yet we expect the Ritz-Carlton and we're disappointed when we don't get it. Y'all, that's just crazy. It's crazy, but we've been conditioned to feel this way. And maybe that's the reason why most of us aren't grateful. Here's a little saying that I like to put in my own life a lot. Gratitude is the attitude that brings joy and contentment. Simply being thankful for everything that we have changes the way that you see the world. Y'all, there are two things that are keeping us from being desperate on God, and they're real simple. Letter A, we can just do it ourselves. Letter B, we have an expectation of what life should look like. You know, last week, my, my five-year-old son, um, they, they won their little baseball tournament, and uh, he got a ring, like a ring for winning the baseball tournament. I don't know about you, but whenever I was five years old playing in tournaments, we were lucky to get a high five if we won. This joker got a ring, and he was disappointed. Like, he came home, and, and, and he looks at Allison, and he's upset that he got a ring. Allison was like, buddy, what's wrong? He, you know what he said? I thought I was getting a trophy. His expectations determined his outlook on the results. So I, I brought him up to my office, and, you know, sometimes as a dad, I get to, like, pride myself a little bit, and I open up the box because that's where your rings go in the future, by the way. If you have any kind of accomplishments in life, they end up in a little box that nobody cares about. And I said, buddy, these are my championship rings. And his eyes lit up. He's like, what do you mean? Where are your trophies? I said, no, buddy, when you're really good, you get a ring. And it's like his world changed. Oh, that ring is on the mantle in his bedroom now. It is the most prized possession he had because the reality is, is he didn't understand because he had an expectation for something different. Listen to me. The greatest gift that you can have in life is God. 
And the reality is for many of you, you get disappointed whenever you get God because you don't want God. You want the things that God can provide. And God is going to provide those things. Matter of fact, if you are in Christ, it only gets better. The gift you get is God in the middle of it. And if you would begin to set your mind to expect something different, you know what would happen? (laughs) You would find joy. The problem is, is you're so satisfied with lesser things. C.S. Lewis again, because he says it really well. Listen to what he says. It, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're so, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like ignorant children that want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. In the Billy version, you settle for the chicken nuggets of this world without realizing that there's a filet mignon right around the corner. Here's what I'm trying to say. There's something sweet that comes with daily desperation on God to provide for your needs. The great Tim Keller, he says, joy is the buoyancy of depending on God. He says, it won't be that you won't struggle, but you'll become unsinkable. You want to know how people do it? How people stare into the depths of the unknown, the cancer diagnosis, I can't pay my bills, the loss of a job or the passion, the passing of a promotion. Do you want to know how they do it? They cultivate this prayer into their lives. God, give me what I need today and only for today, for tomorrow will be sufficient for itself, but I need you right now. Here's what you got to do. You've got to bring this rhythm of prayer into your daily life. You have to pray it every single morning. You got to remind yourself, and if you will, it will be a balm to your soul. It will remind you to center your life on what's right in front of you and knowing that you don't have a God of yesterday, you have a God of right now. It will become a deep assurance that says that the only thing that really matters is the breath that I have at this exact moment. Number three, we're relationally poor. You know what the opposite of peace is? Anxiety. As a matter of fact, that word anxiety, it actually means to be in pieces. It's what it literally means. It means that your mind is all over the place and you're worried all the time. See, here's what Jesus' prayer does for you. It focuses your prayer on the source of the provider instead of the provision. Now, now, let me tell you why this right here is the key to having peace in an ancient, anxious world. Because it helps you to understand the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Here, here, let me give it to you in a nutshell. When God created you, he did it to be relational with you. You know why I know that? Because whenever he said, let us create man in his image, God eternally existed in this thing called the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay, three person, three in one, right here, all eternally existing in a loving, continuous relationship, which means that when he created you, he didn't need anything from you. He created you out of the overflow of his existence, out of the overflow of his community, so that you can enjoy being in community with him. And whenever he created you, he created you for the share in the joys that he already had. And then when the world broke in Genesis chapter 3, God himself put on flesh, became a man, lived your perfect life, died your death in your place, went into the grave to defeat your greatest enemy, which is death, rose from the dead in order to unite you back to himself in relationship. Why does all that matter? 
Because don't you think that the God who created you, sustained you, died in your place, don't you think he can provide for your needs too? The world might be an anxious place, but you have a relationship with the non-anxious presence in the world. I love this. The picture that you get of Jesus is that he is seated on his throne. Do you know when kings sit down? When the war is over. He's not worried. He's not frantic. He's not pacing. The reason that Jesus taught us to pray for his daily bread is because daily bread is rooted in relationship and not need. It pushes you back into reliance. Jesus is trying to cultivate something sweet in you, you needing him. See, if the source of your prayer was need, you would just pray that God would provide your needs and then you would just stop praying to him. You have to go back to the well daily to be deeply satisfied in him. And when you do, he will provide for what you need. Write it down. The thing you are most devoted to will determine the things that you think about most. Jesus knows this. He's telling you that the way to joy is to cultivate him into your life so that you think about him most. It's like this. Did you know, you know how muscles work? And, and when you exercise, something happens called reciprocal innovation. What, what that means is this. It, it means that as one muscle is retracting, the other muscle is flexing. And they both work together all the time. Y'all, it's not much different than grace and truth or how the Bible works. As one is flexing, the other one's relaxing. Listen to me. If Jesus is flexing in your life, you can relax. But if you're always flexing, then Jesus has got to be relaxed. If you're always the one tense, then you're not allowing him to do his work. What if you aren't satisfied because at the end of the day, you're just relationally poor? What I mean by that is statistically, we're more connected than we've ever been, and yet we're more isolated and lonely than any other culture that's ever lived. I I compare this to my sister who lives in Manhattan. She says she is surrounded by 22 million strangers all the time. There's people everywhere, and yet nobody knows anyone. The way this works is that you are designed for community, both vertical community and horizontal community with one another, and both are necessary. Do you realize that when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, the first one is to love the Lord your God. That's vertical community. And then to love one another, horizontal community. Both are absolutely necessary. The key to joy in life is being relationally rich. You know what I never worry about? I never worry about your kids' grades. Like, I don't lose sleep over at night because little Johnny got a D on his report card. I don't worry about your boss, ever. I don't worry about the anxieties that you have at your workplace. You might, but I got enough worries for myself. Here's, here's the question that I have. You worry about the things you're most devoted to. I'm not worried about your boss because I'm not most devoted to that. What are you most devoted to? Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your daily devotions? Have you shifted your mind? I think that's what Paul means in Romans 12, right? Uh, These great mercies on us is a new act of spiritual worship because we've shifted our minds. Have this mind among you. By the way, that's what the word repentance comes from. If you didn't know that, it's metanoia, which means to literally change your mind about something, to change your thinking and and to shift your love to something else. What ultimately matters in our life is where is our mind? Has it moved away from us and has it moved on to Jesus? Like, like Peter says, I, I love this. Listen to what Peter says, humble yourselves. I've told you this a million times. The word humility is never a noun in the Bible. It's always a verb. It's not who you are, it's what you do. 
That gives me hope. You don't have to be a humble person. No, humble yourself. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, meaning lower yourself under God so that at the proper time, he will exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you know that? See, when you understand that, it shifts your mind from your worries to your relationship with him. And ultimately, you trust him to control the things you can't, and your anxieties begin to dissipate. Clayton King, I love the way he says this, today is tomorrow that you were worried about yesterday. Today is the tomorrow that you were worried about yesterday. And you made it out just fine. You know that, right? Here's the reality. Contentment in this life is boiled down to these seven words. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't give us tomorrow's bread because if you did, couldn't handle it. Jesus, drive me into daily dependence on you and provide exactly what I need. Help me to trust you with the things that I don't know because I know that you truly care for me. There's an old story that that explains this so well. It goes like this. One day, Jesus was walking with his disciples. And and by the way, it's not a true story. It's not in the Bible. And he says, "Um, I'd like for you to carry a stone for me. Didn't give any explanation. Just says, I want you to carry a stone. So the, so the disciples, they look around. They look around at stones to carry. And Peter, because Peter's always trying to be that guy, he finds the smallest stone that he could possibly find because he doesn't want to do any work. And he puts the stone in his pocket and he begins to walk. And Jesus says, follow me. Well, they get to a place and they sit down and, and Jesus turns their stones into bread. And he looks at them and he says, now eat and have lunch. Peter's lunch was over pretty quickly. But he thought for a second, I see what you're doing. So Jesus looks at them again and says, hey, I want you to carry a stone for me. Peter's thinking, oh, I know what he's doing. I'm going to grab a boulder, the biggest rock I can find. And he picks it up and he puts, as painful as it is, he he puts his boulder on his back and he begins to stagger. And Jesus says, follow me. So they walk a little longer and Peter's exhausted and they stop. and, And Jesus says, throw the stones in the water. Peter takes it off, he throws it in there, and and Jesus starts walking. He says, follow me. Peter and the other disciples are super confused. They're like, whoa, I thought this was dinner. Jesus looks at them and he says, do you remember what I asked you to do? Then he says, who were you carrying that stone for? Y'all, that's an important question to ask. At the end of the day, let me just ask you, do you realize that Jesus is enough in and of himself? That he really will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, that he wants to give you more of himself? Because I think that the majority of our anxieties come from the fact that we don't really want Jesus. We want the things that we think he can provide. Listen, if you keep chasing the own bread, your own bread, maybe it's being a good person or it's just doing whatever you want. At the end of the day, you are missing it. Joy is found in relationship, and that's what Jesus offers you. You remember this? Jesus tells them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hungry, hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let me land the plane like this. My, maybe my favorite parable is um, Jesus and the disciples are in the boat. And, and a storm begins to come. And you got to understand, these are professional 
fishermen, which means that this had to have been a heck of a storm. And, and as the storm is raging, Jesus is taking a nap. Y'all, he's, the brother's taking a nap. And the disciples are scared to death. And they go and they, they shake Jesus and they wake him up. And, they, and listen to what they say. They say, do you not care about us? Like, we're dying. Do you not care? Listen to what he says. Oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Like a boss, he just rebukes the storm and it stops. It's the most profound question you can ask yourself. Oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? What is it about the future that has you fearful? Why do you care so much about crypto or AI or the politics of the the future and everything going on? Do you not know that Jesus is on his throne? Listen, if the resurrection is true, if Jesus really did appear to over 500 people, if he really did come back to life, can I just tell you, you have nothing to be afraid of. You get that, right? You have nothing to be afraid of. Life only gets infinitely better. Telling you with the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And he wants to offer you freedom. And the secret to contentment and joy is having life with him. It's not a life without the storms of life. No, it's Jesus with you in the middle of the storm is the safest place you can be. The best prayer you can pray for your life is this. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus, help me to trust you with my life right now. For whatever I need right now, it will be the most liberating decision you could ever make with your life. 